Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Visual, interactive, meaningful, productive. Four values underpinning AssetMap, a financial planning platform loved by advisors and their clients. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today I have Yuri Gauss-Fente with me. He is the founder of Mindful Money in Cape Town, South Africa. Yuri, it's wonderful to have you in person, um, which is very different from our normal sessions. Tell us thanks. a little bit about who you are and what you're, what you're up to at the moment. Well, thanks, Louis, um, and thanks for the invitation. Great to be here. Yeah, look, I, s- I started out my vocational career in a totally different direction. Um, I was trained in clinical psychology back in the day at the University of Stellenbosch. And I worked in that capacity for a couple of years. And my father-in-law had experience in the stock market. And that was a world that was, that was um, totally unbeknown to me. And um, it interested me tremendously um, when I got exposed to it. So, you know, that's when I started um, investigating um, possibility of getting into that field. Um, I then did an MBA to just broaden my skill set because clinical psychology is very specific. And then landed up um, in a person in, in the personnel division of a major life office in in Cape Town, um, and from there um, went on to the investment um, division. So I mean that that's been the vocational path, you know, for me, starting in in, in um, the behavioral sciences into investments, and then ultimately starting my own business in financial planning. So that was the the path. It almost sounds like this was a very short path, but I can imagine that <laughs> this is over a span of, of many years. Yeah, it it, uh, it took about let me let me think. Um, you know, psychology. I, I yeah. First of all, you know, training uh, for clinical psychology that that's about six years. Um, you know, then I worked in that field for about two three years. The personnel division at Mutual was another about two years, and 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 then ultimately in investing was about about three, four years before I you know, did my own thing as a financial planner. So what is that? That's a, in the region of 10 years, you know, from, from um, finishing varsity um, as a psychologist to starting as a financial planner. Yeah, and these are quite, it's quite big moves, you know, career-changing yeah. moves. And it yeah. sounds like you're doing that 
you know, after two or three years of, yeah. of testing something. Yeah. How did you frame that loss aversion, right? Having spent six years yeah. getting your psychology degree, spending time with clients and then saying, okay, I'm going to switch paths. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? Um, I'm not sure that it was so conscious, you know, in, in those days. I actually remember having visited a friend of mine um, over a weekend and his father knew, you know, um, that I studied psychology. And at that time, I was in that transition period, you know, moving from psychology into, into investments. And I, I remember distinctly that he asked me, but listen, Yuri, what is it that you actually do? And, and I thought, well, I can kind of understand why you're confused. Um, I don't know myself quite, you know, where I am at this stage. So, so you know, there was a time uh, where uh, th things felt a bit uncertain, especially, you know, the switch initially from um, the behavioral sciences side of things into investments. That was a fairly big jump. But, you know, the... the, the um, Life office um, where I was working at the time had um, tremendous uh, training infrastructure, you know, to assist um, in that regard. And it was something that I really wanted to do. It was it was it was something that was interesting, um, and and I think that helps a lot, you know, in in making that transition. But I never felt, um, you know, you speak about loss aversion. I didn't experience the switch from clinical into into investments as a loss I, I i i can't you know recall think feeling like that at all it was much more here was a new field that was tremendously exciting and you know um i really want to get my teeth into it and i think where where i am now i can see the or, or um let me put it to this way, where I'm now as, as a, um, in my financial planning career, drawing on the skills that I learned as a psychologist are relevant. So it's kind of having come full circle in the sense that, you know, you have the skill set that you have been exposed to the investment side of things, but you also bring a certain skill set with you that enables you to deal with clients on a level that maybe wouldn't have been possible if I didn't have that background. Absolutely. I think that's something I'd, I'd love to explore a little bit, you know, with a background in psychology. Yeah. What you're saying is that that human side of money is as important and probably drives more decision-making. Yeah. Was that always the case? Because, you know, we can see people like, or institutions like the CFP board, including that in their studies in America... <laughs> And becoming more and more mainstream. But, I mean, you've been dispensing financial advice for yeah. a very long time and delivering advice. Was that awareness always there for you or is it something that was has been developing? Um, I think for myself, um, it's been more pronounced recently. And, and, and I think um, that coincides with the prominence that behavioral finance as a discipline has gained inside our field of work. You know, I think back to my times in the investment division um, at the life office that I spoke about. That was in the early 1990s. And I remember distinctly the focus very much 
was quants. People from the States were coming across and they were telling us about these fantastic models that they had, you know, on how to price shares accurately. And yes, I mean, that, of course, is the core business of an investment division. But if at that stage, in the discussion inside investments, you would put forward the idea that, guys, maybe, you know, when we want to understand investor behavior, shouldn't we look at human psychology? I think they would have chased you out the room. The environment was just such that there was no, uh, you know, no, nobody would be receptive for that line of thinking. And I think that has changed a lot. I think, you know, I, I shared this um, idea with you recently that if you look at the curriculum for CFA nowadays, there's a module that you have to do in behavioral finance. Now, you imagine that that would have been the case back in the 1990s. Um, just forget about it. You know, behavioral finance wasn't a thing at that stage. And I think just with the prominence of, 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 of behavioral finance as a discipline over the last, let's say, decade or two, awareness, I think, has grown not only in the financial planning community, um, and, you know, you ask for myself, not, not only in my own mind, but also inside the investment fraternity, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we always assume people make decisions rationally, right? We optimize everything. Uh, well, I mean, that, uh, you know, that debate, uh, it, it, it's interesting, you know. Um, you, you look at where that uh, idea comes from, um, um, the, 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 the notion of, you know, homo economicus making rational decisions coming from, I think it was in, in the early 1800s. And shortly afterwards, you know, you had someone like uh, John Maynard Keynes saying, no, you know, people don't behave like that, they're irrational. So that debate of people being rational or irrational comes a long way. And I don't think in the minds of a lot of people that that's been settled. I think a lot of the time still there is this model, maybe especially outside the um, behavioral sciences, that as people we are rational. And evidence, you know, just points to the contrary. You just you, you you can just read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, um, and and he says it very nicely. You know, he speaks about System One and System Two thinking, and we tend to think that we these rational being System Two kind of thinkers. And and, and he, he says in that book, but System One is the main actor, you know, for this book, and that's the way that I think we are wired. Yeah, part of it I think is just simplifying things so that it neatly fits into the way we see the world. For heaven's sake, you know, if if we didn't have that kind of an um, organizing net, uh, uh, organizing um, uh, frame of reference, we wouldn't get through the through the day. So it's it, it's absolutely imperative that we should be able to you know make decisions quickly, intuitively. It, 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 we cannot you know be in in, in logical function twenty four seven. That would just be too exhausting, and we wouldn't get anywhere. So, um, yeah, I think that's the way that we widen. And, 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 you know, as financial planners, I think we need to factor that into the, the equation when you work with our clients. But not only see that propensity in the way that our clients live their lives, also understand the fact that you and I as financial planners, when we give advice, we are wired in exactly that same way. So, you know, this kind of thing cuts both ways. You know, see the fact that you and I as financial planners tend to operate in system one mode most of the time 
and just be aware so that that way of thinking doesn't trip you up in the advice that you're giving to your clients. Absolutely. And yeah. and I want to come back to this idea of the systems one, the systems two. Yeah. I'm curious, so now you're, you're armed with the psychology background, you've done your MBA, you've built up investment decision-making experience. Why the move to start your own financial planning practice? What, like, what triggered that? <laughs> um, uh, I remember um, way back... I attended uh, a, a talk and it was hosted, um, it was addressed by somebody who came from Australia. I, I forget the name, but it was hosted at, 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 at another life office um, just around the corner here, uh, not the one that I was <laughs> at, the blue one, <laughs> all right. Um, and, 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 you know, he started the talk to us, Financial Planners, he says, all of you guys sitting here are career refugees. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought about it. You know, you, you look around the room and, 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 and you, you look at all these um, folk that do the same thing that you are doing. And it's true in the case of most of those people who were sitting there um, and, and, and who were um, applying their trade as financial planners, they started out doing, doing something different. So um, how did I end up in, 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 in financial planning? Well, you know, while I was in the investment division at um, this life office um, in Cape Town, one of our tasks was to market the investment philosophy of the life office to financial advisors. So that's where I started rubbing shoulders with these people. And, you know, I looked at what they were doing and, and, and what attracted me um, about the work that they were doing was the fact that, you know, they worked with people and they were pretty much independent calling the shots in terms of how they wanted to structure the content of what it was they were doing. And that to me was very attractive. So, I mean, I started investigating that um, possibility. And, you know, as f fate was, would have it, just up the street from where I was living at the time lived a chap who would become a colleague later. And he had been a financial planner for quite some time. Also, you know, starting out in a totally different, um, I mean, he actually did a, a degree in, 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 in uh, a, a B military degree, can you imagine? And, he, you know, he ended up in, in financial planning. He lived up just to the road. He had already, you know, done it, had his um, practice established. And we started talking. And he said, listen, but, you know, if you um, want to, start off as a planner come work for me and you know it, um, i'm a slow uh, slow to warm up here I, I, I take quite a time to you know make decisions um of that nature so you know it, it took a, a year, year or two but ultimately i said listen i'll i'm uh, ready to make the break that was your systems two decision making <laughs> that kicked in i think i think my wife my wife would have said it's system one all the long <laughs> all along but um yeah so uh, uh, um, th that's how it started for me so you know i joined him um in his financial planning practice i learned a tremendous lot i still think you know to this day he's one of the sharpest minds in in, in financial plannings in financial planning learned a lot there and um i think after about two years together with him i went uh, off on my own and 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 and, and said listen I've now got to try this thing properly on my own. 
And yeah, that's when, when I started my own practice. And that was what, 20, 23 years ago, yeah, roughly. Wow. Yeah. This sense of you know, autonomy and being able to work with people and yeah. putting your own stamp of the yeah. way you do things kind yeah. of shines through in what you're saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, to me, um, and, and in independence, mm. you know, independence not only, and I think um, inside the financial planning fraternity, we understand that independence as independent from a product provider. I don't want to, tie, I, I don't want to be tied in, in the advice that I give just to one single product provider. So that's how we understand independence. But um, I think for, for a lot of us financial planners, it's about more than that. It's, it, it's not only independent from product providers, also the ability to really, you know, shape your practice along the lines of what it is that you are good at. Um, and I, I, I mean, that was another valuable lesson that I learned. You know, we, we, um, I, I was part of a group that started uh, a voluntary association of independent financial planners in early 2000. And it started off with only four practices um, in Cape Town. And in the meantime, you know, it's got a national footprint. But what always strikes me when we meet as a group is how different personalities have the ability to put together a practice that works for them. And, you know, the... Um, differential advantage that you bring to market is different to the differential advantage that I bring to market. But guess what? You have a successful practice of your own clients, and so do I, and the next person. So, you know, f financial planning um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a career, I think, presents that opportunity that if you really are passionate about people and, 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 and um, you know, financial planning as a, as, as a discipline, you can build your own practice according to what it is that is meaningful to you. Yeah, ultimately, that. it's it's about helping people, yeah. right? And yeah. it's about helping people in the yeah. way that you think yeah. might be best. Yeah. So now you're two years into your experience as a financial planner. You decide to set up your own shop. Like, who do you serve? Like, who are the type of clients, and and how do you attract them in those <laughs> early early years? I'm wondering, are these yeah. old uh, patients yeah. of your previous yeah. practice? No. Look, uh, um, you know, it was it was bad habits in those days. It was cold canvassing, but um, there was another thing that uh, that I did, um, and and I drew on skills that I learned at um, the life office that I was employed at. Part of our work there was to do presentations to um, investors. And I, I took that kind of a skill set and I said, listen, um, can we not get together a group of people that we can talk to about personal financial planning? So um, we devised a, a program designed to talk about personal financial planning. And we took that program to companies. And in those days, that was the, the, the um, mid-90s. Um, South Africa was going through its transition in those years from you know, the old apartheid regime to, 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 to the um, a new democratic order. And part of um, the brief that the corporate sector as a whole had was that you, know, you guys need to train your workforce. And um, we rode on the back of that wave. 
and went to companies and said, listen, you know, we've got a program here where we can empower you people to take charge of their personal finances. And we did those programs at the likes of ESCOM, um, Transnet, a, a lot of the parastatals, um, arms school in those days. And they happily um, paid us for our time. And from those programs came a lot of clients, you know, who then um, contracted us for individual financial planning. And it's interesting, Louis, you know, the, the turnaround sometimes, I, I still, you know, I mean, this was in the mid um, 90s, right? You know that still to this day, um, I get referrals from back then. Wow. So, you, you know, that is as long as it takes sometimes um, if you, if you are in it, you know, for the long haul, um, you do something like this and somebody somewhere cottoned on to what it was that you said a long time ago and they remember and they, you know, get your retirement age and they say, listen, there was this guy 20 years ago that said something about, I don't know what, um, but they, they contact you. You, know, you planted so. that seed 20 years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. Are you reaping there? And I roots. think that is, is, is a lesson, you know, um, for um, folk that, that, that get into this industry, new um, uh, uh, young people who get into this industry. Um, it is, I think, a lot more difficult for young people to establish themselves today compared to what it was, you know, when I started out. Um, regulation is a lot more stringent. Um, standards are definitely higher. Um, and, you know, it can discourage people from, from, from trying to get into the field. But I would say that, you know, if you can, if you can stick it out, um, just have this long-term perspective that keep chiseling away at it. Um, find what it is that you're good at. And, and if you're good at, you know, addressing people um, on a topic that you're passionate about, that's what you do. And the dividends will come later, you know. Sometimes a lot later. We often joke that the first 10 years is the most difficult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I can see how you've incorporated your yeah. business skills and kind of delivering yeah. advice at scale before it was yeah. even a thing. Yeah. You mentioned this topic of, you know, the bar to enter the industry is quite high. But mm. do you think it's high enough? Because technically someone with, mm. with a matric and a driver's license and, you know, a very basic exam completed can mm. deliver advice versus... You know, just comparing it to your background, is that a bar high enough or is it too high? Like, where do we sit with that balance of regulation versus allowing new entrants? Um, well, I think it, the bar is certainly higher now than it was back in the day. You know, I mean, you point out that somebody with, 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 with a matric and a, and, 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 and a driver's license basically can, can get into financial planning. Yes, but then he's going to be under supervision. And, you know, there are lots of hoops you've got to jump through at this stage um, that you have to satisfy in order to dispense financial advice. And the key individual is going to be responsible for that person. And the key individual, therefore, is going to ensure that, you know, this person with a driver's license that, and the matric that he's taking on in his practice is capable of doing the job. Now, that sort of accountability, um, I would venture to say, didn't exist at the time that, you know, I went into um, financial planning back in the back in the nineties. So for us in South Africa, I think the introduction of the FIRES Act has made a big difference. 
um, the question about you know where do we find the balance between regulation and 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 and, and allowing people to do their thing, I think um, that should be tilted in favor of the client's interest. Therefore, it is harder for you as a financial planner um, nowadays to gain traction than I think that is fair, that is designed to protect the interest of the client. Um, in South Africa, I think we've got this unfortunate legacy that you know financial planning is still being frowned upon. And, 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 and the financial planning fraternity is responsible for that sentiment. Um, to a large degree, the way things were done historically, and it's unfair, I think, that new entrants should, should suffer because of that, but that's, it, it, it is what it is. Um, and I think, you know, we all have a, a, a role to play to change the perception of, of financial planning in the minds of the consumers. And for, the, for that reason, you know, I'm all for lifting the bar even further. Um, if you want to uh, aspire towards um, the status of profession, you know, which is what the Financial Planning mm -hmm. Institute, um, you, you know, says that it, 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 it wants to achieve for financial planning. If you want to be seen as a profession, um, there need to be standards that justify, you know, calling yourself a profession. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I hear what you're saying around the supervision and maybe things like the ombudsman that's yeah. there to support yeah. and uh, protect <laughs> the end client. Those things are as important as, you know, having an appropriate bar for new entrants, yeah. um, which is a very interesting way yeah. of looking at it, yeah. saying that we need to make sure once you're in this industry that you're delivering quality advice yeah. and that you're acting in the client's best interest, yeah. a kind of a fiduciary standard that yeah. we are hopefully closer to, but we're definitely not not there yet. No, um, and no I think we've got some uh, some way to go. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned the <coughs> the ombudsman. Uh, that's, the, that's the stick part of the carrot and stick kind of um, scenario <coughs> that, you know, I would um, like to see for, for financial planning as a profession. So I'd, I'd like there to be um, more of a, a, a carrot kind of an approach. You know, what is it that we can do um, as maybe established planners to make the, a career in financial planning attractive to people that want to pursue that career? What is it that the industry can do to, to, to achieve that? Now, I think, you know, um, the, the model that you see with a lot of financial planning practices where they will employ a junior as a paraplanner on a salary basis to take away that pressure that, you know, you don't have to sell a flog a policy or a product um, in order to put bread on the table at the end of the month. Um, I think that's the right, that's the right approach. Now the concept of incentives, hey? The incentives Absolutely. drive almost Absolutely. all behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Then, then, you know, you, you do that properly, the, the ombud is going to be superfluous. You know? yeah. 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 Great. So, Yuri, now you're up and running. You have mm. this successful practice that is bringing in clients. And what are the services that you delivered 23 years ago to your clients? Was it the same as what you're delivering <laughs> today? I'm, I'm curious. Um, yeah, I think... You know, if you think about the um, the competencies, so, you know, investment planning, retirement planning, estate planning, I think little has changed there. I think it's the way in which you dispense those, those services. Um, it is, it is the, the, the um, maybe the content even 
of the discussion that you have with your clients. Um, the, the, the way that the process unfolds, um, you know, there's, as soon as, 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 as you have established a practice, and I think we maybe just need to take a, a step back here and, and, and talk about the, the, the remuneration of one's services. So, you know, I mean, I've been um, transitioning to the, to the um, assets under management model from I think it was the you know, mid 1990s. Um, the the moment the moment the first product provider um, set up a facility whereby um, you were paid a service fee for continued service, that kind of remuneration to me made a lot of sense. And I mean that company was in those days it was called TMA. Technic, uh, I think it was technical. Um, it, 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 uh, um, yeah, I can't remember the, uh, what it stood for, but TMA was the first company that provided financial planners with an investment platform that would remunerate you for an ongoing service. So that took away the need of selling product all the time, you know, to ensure that you had. Um, an income at the end of the month, mm, aligning those so, incentives. Uh, 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 yeah. So, so, so um, the moment you get to a point where you have a base big enough to cover your overheads and allow you to take enough out of your practice um, to make the books balance on your side. At that moment, um, you have the luxury of of of, of changing. I think. I want to call it the mode of engagement with your, with your clients. All of a sudden, if you don't have this pressure, you know, that, 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 that we've got to conclude a deal, the discussion becomes different. And um, it enables you to do, you know, I mean, what has become fashionable, I think, over the last decade or so. And that's focus on the client. <laughs> Should have always been the case. Are you saying but, it's moving out of that survival mode? Yeah. <laughs> and I think the moment... You know, the moment uh, that happens to you, um, I think it affords you with the opportunity um, to to change the the tone, um, for lack of a better word, uh, of the conversation that you have with your clients. Can can we pause there, Yuri? Because mm. you're saying moving out of the survival mode, mm. but psychologically, what does that do to a financial planner when? they can move out of the survival mode. You know, I mean, just what's coming to mind is that, you know, fight and flight type of response. Mm. You can actually start using mm. your brain properly yeah. and, and yeah. deliver better yeah. advice. I'd love to yeah. hear your take at, from a psychological training perspective. Um, yeah, I, th I think, um, I mean, to me, it's obvious. You know, to, to, to me, it's obvious. If, if, if there's no pressure, or if I can take away the pressure, that in this discussion that you and I are having now, I'm dependent on you signing on the dotted line so that, you know, I can go home this evening and tell my wife, listen, you know, we, 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 we'll be okay for the end of the month. The moment that that, is, that that pressure is gone, the discussion that you and I can have about your financial well-being is different. I mean, I use the term financial well-being. I mean, that's, I can use that term only, I think, you know, if I... Um, if I'm not in survival mode, if, 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 if I need you to sign on the dot line, I'm not, I don't care about your financial well-being. I, I care about my own well-being, you know. Um, yeah, so 
if I mean, I've, I look at my own practice. If I look at the, the the evolution of the way in which I've been dispensing advice, if I look at um, the nature of the discussion that you have with your clients, if you look at the luxury that you have to digress into topics that have nothing to do with your clients' finances, just you know about their kids whatever other interest that they've got. The fact that you've built up a practice from which you derive a regular income stream puts you in a position where you, you have all those luxuries. And it makes it makes financial planning um, so much more, shall I, shall I say, meaningful. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it just becomes a pleasure, you know. Um, and both mm. as a planner you experience that and also your clients experience that. And guess what happens then? You know, those relationships be, uh, um, become even tighter. Um, when you take out the self-interest, absolutely, that increases the trust. Yeah. And your trust is the yeah. base of your, of your relationship with, with a client. That's what you sell. Well, um, it's horrible to say it like that. Um, but, but, you know, um, think about it. You know, that's, as a financial planner, I think um, if I can frame it like that, I think... That needs to be part of, you know, your, your product offering. Yeah, and we're, we're, I mean, sales you know? can be a dirty word, but we're all selling all of the time. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you're selling yeah. your expertise. Yeah. And, yeah. and what you're saying is that if your incentives are aligned and you don't have this pressure, then, you know, that leads to a much better quality relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, you know, um, I mean, your, your own um, experience of, 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 you know, the way that you're experiencing um, your job. I don't want to call it a job. I mean, it's, it's a career. It's a, it's a... You're calling. You're calling, you know. It, 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 it then becomes something more akin to a calling than just the thing you clock in for at 8 o'clock in the morning and clock out 4 o'clock in the afternoon. By the way, you know, I mean, the fantastic thing about running your practice is that you don't have to observe those hours, you know. Um, yeah, so... There are definite spin-offs to building a practice um, founded on on on, on long-term relationships. Um, yeah, and 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 you know, keeping it keeping it meaningful. I derailed your thinking there a little bit in terms of, you know, what what it is that you were delivering to your clients then versus now. But it sounds like this evolution. You know, you had this yeah. vision yeah. of where you're working towards. A it almost feels like the same type of relationship someone would have with a psychologist that they have with their financial planner. That's an interesting one. The difference with a psychologist is you terminate the relationship once your client um, has mastered whatever it is that he or she has come to you for. Um, so there might be a crisis and, and, and as a psychologist you, help, you, you assist and your success is measured by whether you can terminate with your client because if you can factor yourself out of that client's life, it means that you would have taught that client the skill to handle whatever it was that he or she came to you for. Whereas as a financial planner, I don't want to terminate my relationship with you. It's great for me to see you each year and let's review you know, what we said last year and how have things panned out for you over the last year. And let's see how far, you know, how far we were off or were we accurate in terms of the assumptions we made last year? And how can we panel beat, you know, your plan to help you achieve whatever it is that 
do you see for yourself for the next year? So there would be a difference to is, me there. Is there a space for terminating client relationships with a financial planner? Interesting. Um, yes, I think there is. I've always thought about the client base that you and I can service in terms of pie, a pie chart. So there will be people that will never need my and your advice. And that is fine. I still have friends from the asset management um, community from back in the days in, my, in the investment division. Now, none of those folk will ever come to me for, for financial advice. Why not? Because they are capable of looking after their own finances, I would think. Um, <laughs> okay, you disagree. But in, so, so in my mind, I have, I have this idea, um, some people will never seek my advice, and that's mm. fine. Um, and so, I mean, then you can make up that pie chart of whichever sections you want to. But there's going to be a section that is going to be the section in the market that you'll be good at servicing because of the unique skill that you bring to market. And that's, you know, the client base that I'm after or that I would like to engage with. I would think that if a client comes to me and says, listen, I appreciate very much what you've done for me so far, but I'd actually now like to try and do this on my own. Then who am I to say, no, you can't do that? So I've got to be open enough in, my, um, in the way that I view the relationships with my clients that they can terminate at any, at any time. They might terminate for other reasons. They might terminate because for, for some reason they think um, I'm no longer the best person to service their interest. And we can have a discussion about that and I can ask them, you know, what has shifted in your life that, you know, you think that I can no longer make a meaningful, meaningful contribution and they may give me a perfectly valid answer. And then, yes, you know, um, there is a reason for us to terminate our relationship. And it's based, Louis, on, on, on this notion that I think any relationship that um, is mutually satisfying can only be mutually satisfying if it's voluntary, can never be forced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. But what I'm seeing is that it's celebrated to terminate that client relationship in the psychology yes, field, yeah. but it's a loss in the financial planning field. I, I, I would agree with that. Um, but it could also be, you know, if if... The termination of a client inside the financial planning field, if that goes hand in hand with constructive feedback that a client would give me and says, listen, I'm terminating this relationship between the two of us because this and that and that happened. And I walk away from, from that discussion. I said, gee, because I didn't know that that was the influence that I had on you when I did this. Then that termination might have resulted in achieving self-insight mm. and making me a better planner going forward. So, you, you, you know, um, uh, at, at the life of I was at, when you resigned, there would be an exit interview. And the purpose of the exit interview was, you know, that both you and your manager had a chance to review the reasons for why it was that you left the organization. And that that is a valuable practice to have. If, you know... Um, you stop using my services for what, whatever reason and it's because of something that I did that didn't meet your expectations. I'd like to know about that. Not because I want to argue with you, but because I want to, I want to learn. Um, you know, I mean, uh, becoming a better human being is a work in progress that only stops the day you die, you know. 
Yeah, when you cancel any subscription, it asks you, you know, what's the reason for canceling <laughs> the subscription? And I don't want to yeah. compare yeah. what you're delivering to a subscription, but there's a sense of, uh, from my side, saying, shouldn't we be helping clients to get to a point where they can say, hey, I can now do this on my own. Yeah. I don't need the support of a financial yeah. planner. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yuri, I'll reach out to you when my life situation changes yes. and I maybe really need yes. your services. Yeah, yeah. I think you know in 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 um, the way that we as financial planners offer our services, we need to um, make provision for that kind of a scenario. Mm. I think Warren Ingram wrote mm. a book um, that has got that title as a notion: how to become your own financial planner. Uh, kind of the idea of you know educate yourself so that financial planning becomes superfluous. And I think somewhere he says you know um, I. Uh, judge my success by becoming obsolete in the life of a client. So it certainly um, is a is a uh, um, I think it's a it's a mindset that you need to have to begin with. But I think it's a healthy approach that wouldn't harm if I think we could build that into our expectations um, more frequently. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about this continuous development, right? You yeah. were saying the skills that you should be working on yeah. to deliver advice in, in the future. Yeah. Like, speaking to a younger group of financial planners that's maybe entering the industry now yeah. that might be stuck at a life office association that, yeah. that have a bit of experience but want to take that leap, like, what would you say to them? What would you say to Yuri 23 years ago? What are the skills that you need to be working yeah. on to become a successful financial planner? The first thing I would say to you is this. Um, you have something that is unique to you that you can bring to market. Find that. Spend most of your energy finding that. Um, if I look at what's out there on social media, if I look at um, what's available um, off the shelves, the forms of books and what not. I think to a young person that can be intimidating. And the risk would be that, you know, you read all these things and you think you're going to find your answer there. And you never think deeply about what it is that is important to you and what it is that you are good at. And again, I go back to, you know, this association of independent financial planners that I referred to earlier. Um, that to me was the biggest the single biggest lesson I took from that, you know, each time we sit around a table, you look at each of those individuals around the table. Everybody has got something unique that they bring to the table. And I might not agree, you know, with the way that you run your practice, but that's besides the point. Um, you found your niche and you've built a successful practice on that and you've attracted clients that depend on your advice. Um, so that would be my first point. Think deeply. Think deeply about what it is that is unique to you, that you have a passion for, and that you bring to market. Second thing, once you've found that, hone that skill. Forget about all the other stuff that you hear. Hone that skill first. And then once you know, you've established yourself and you feel comfortable in your skin that, listen, I'm good at um, speaking to people in the age bracket, let's say, 30 to 35, uh, 30 to 45, um, because, you know, I understand that generation very well. Um, I have a passion for maybe 
a specific direction, let's say investments. You know, I, I, I love talking about markets. Um, so, so once you've, 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 you've honed that skill, then you can start to broaden. Then you can start to learn more. Um, but I think for, for, for a young person entering the industry, you, you know, before you listen to what everybody else has got to say, find out what this little voice inside yourself says about where a good place would be for you. Spend time there. Oh, thank you for that, Yuri. What, I, what I'm hearing is that, that relentless focus on developing your core strengths. And I've looked at things like Gallup Strength Finder, and these yeah. things are, are very valuable. Yeah. And the Enneagram assessment and the things that, you know, that's out there for financial planners, and it's worthwhile spending a bit of time yeah. understanding what it is that makes you tick. Because when we focus on those strengths, things become effortless. Yeah. And it's not this kind of drag. Yeah. And we, we're taught at school to yeah. like focus on your weaknesses. Hey, you need to get your, your marks up in this subject because it's not good enough. Yeah. Yet, yeah. What you're saying is the key is actually doubling down on what it is that keeps you fueled. Well, Keep- uh, you know, I think um, authenticity. Mm. Uh, uh, if you can, if you can pitch up in this world as the best version of yourself, you know uh, uh, that sounds so cliched, but um, uh, you know, in the end, if you want to enjoy what it is that you're doing in your waking hours, you better make sure that there is alignment between who it is that you are at the core and what it is that you want to do. And that's what I mean by, you know, spend time in finding out what makes you tick. And, and, and that's going to, it's going to make you come across genuine. It's going to make you come across um, uh, enthusiastically, you know, rather than tr- trying to be, I mean, what's the latest fad? You know, um, there, there, there's so much, I mean, um, you, you know, you, you're a holistic planner or you're a, 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 a financial life planner or you're this or that coach or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I'm not degrading any of that. I'm just saying there's so much noise around that, you know, uh, if you're a, a newcomer to the industry, you can be distracted so easily by all of these terms that are thrown around that you f- forget about looking inward as a first step and trying to figure out, you know, what it is that you can bring to market that is unique and, 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 and that, you know, nobody is going to bring that to the market as well as you can. I mean, that's your differential advantage. You're going to build your practice on that. Own that. And is that why financial planning stuck for you? <laughs> you know, you, d- you didn't move over after two or three years. To, so, sorry, to, Is that why financial planning stuck for you? You didn't move to another career after two <laughs> or three years? Yeah, look, um, I mean, the fantastic thing about financial planning is, um, or the way that I experienced it, you know, it, it presents you with all of these opportunities to, um, to keep working at yourself. Um, you know, another um, uh, variable that entered the equation that wasn't a requirement back, you know, when I started out as a financial planner is this whole focus on continued professional development. What is that about? What does that say? You know, um, we have an institute that requires us to spend X amount of hours per year for continued professional. I mean, it shouldn't be the industry's job to do that. You should want to do that, you know, um, because it, it, just staying up to date technically, but never mind technically, you know, just broaden your skill set, become a better listener. I mean, the, 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 the course we attended, I mean, that's something that I think can be a lifelong practice 
what it is you know what is it when we talk about empathy that is a skill that a lot of the time you know we have to work at continuously so yeah it shouldn't be a requirement from a regulator that, that that you engage in continuous professional development you should do that in any event so just like the industry is evolving you as a financial planner should also be absolutely. going through this evolution absolutely absolutely and not only you know as far as technical skills is concerned yeah uh, we've had the discussion we yeah, yeah, we talk about soft skills but they're actually hard skills yeah um, it, it it's those you know the human skills that and it's just you know not because anybody says you should develop them it's just you know it's just rewarding you know if 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 um, just to see you know what it does to the discussion between you and an, and another human being if for a change you do more listening than talking <laughs> absolutely that's a brilliant place to start yuri i want to thank you so much for spending the time yeah. talking about your history and what you're yeah. doing and what you're seeing in this profession your passion is shining through in what you're doing and i want to thank you for that contribution today Louis, it was absolutely my pleasure, and I wish you all the luck for your podcast, my friend. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Yuri. Mm-hmm.